I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Levi Allen. Levi is the principal of Wealth Creation Asset Management, a real estate investment company that acquires residential multifamily properties. Uh, Levi studied at BYU, Idaho before after returning home from a two-year church mission in Peru. So um, first of all, Levi, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jason. Happy to be here. Awesome. Would you go ahead and just kind of tell us, tell us your background, tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, kind of what brought you into real estate? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in Eastern Oregon on a potato farm and a cattle ranch. And um, over the years, I just, from working and seeing others um, kind of career paths, I kind of decided that I um, kind of wanted to control my own destiny. And I didn't know what that meant, like being an entrepreneur of some kind and being a business owner of some kind. And um, just over the years, got into real estate, starting out with farmland. I bought a small chunk of farmland, um, just kind of with the help of my parents and learned to farm that over time and grew a um, a portfolio of cattle and um, end up selling those and bought uh, four duplexes altogether, um, eight units, uh, which was my first apartment deal. And then I sold the land and bought a 10 unit apartment deal in Utah. And so, yeah, I bought 18 units of multifamily and just figured out that it was more, um, more uh, easier management. It, the business was more scalable and just a better business model um, than, than farming and ranching. And I just decided to go kind of all in on that and um, just found found some mentors in the space, and over the years got into syndications and joint ventures, and um, I've got like just under a hundred million in assets under management now. Um, I think it's six or seven syndications, um, four of which I'm the lead sponsor, and yeah, just looking to find more opportunities and make new connections in the space. Awesome, awesome. That's a I would, well, unique for, at least for for my guests. I don't know that I've had anybody. I've had people that invest in land, but not necessarily with that, you know, that kind of background. Um, I've never, I guess, I've never heard uh, it referred to as a portfolio of cattle either. But yeah. uh, I, I have. We have some good friends I that heard, are. I uh, heard of cattle. I'm used to talking the real. You, you probably haven't heard that because they don't say that much. Right. right. <laughs> I have. We have some really good friends that have. Uh, kind of, they they have a farm now and they've got cattle and, and you know, we were visiting them recently. It's funny, just like listening to him talk about the cattle and like the, the, the purchasing process and what, it, and it's yeah. like, it is very much a business for sure. Like it's, it's so without a doubt. I mean, that I think coming from that background, you learning, you know, the value of land and then, and then, you know, managing a business, um, all of that sort of goes together. Do you, did you feel like that sort of, 
prepared you, sort of propelled you towards, uh, you know, investing in real estate from the very beginning? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, I guess one of the bigger takeaways was probably trying to figure out in my new venture in real estate, how can I scale it and how can I put systems in place so it's not so management intensive? Like the cattle business, it's just very labor intensive. It's um, hard to find good help. And there's just so many moving parts on the day to day. So yeah, getting into real estate, I knew I wanted to be long-term rentals, not short-term rentals. Um, I wanted to buy bigger properties to get good professional management in place. and so, yeah, I guess that it, the biggest takeaway I had was just um, getting into the real estate, trying to, uh, you know, acquire bigger properties and putting the the proper systems in place so that it's actually scalable and I can bring on outside capital and make right. it all flow better. Right. And so you, you, you said you started with a, the four duplexes and then a, and then a 10 unit were, were those all local to you or were you kind of uh, right off the bat sort of investing distant? Yeah. I guess? Yeah. The four duplexes were local in my local town. Um, I was able to get seller financing. So it was like just under 25% down that I had to put down. So that was nice. I didn't have to qualify for a bank loan. I just got the seller financing and it cash flowed pretty strong. This is 20, early 2017. So it, okay. you know, it was a 43,000 a unit, um, for big two and three bedroom units. Um, and, uh, yeah, just ran, uh, let's see, the second deal was a bank loan. Um, so I, I sold the land and did a 1031 exchange as the, so that the proceeds from the sale of the land was my down payment for the 10 unit, which was in Utah. So Utah, I had been studying Utah for a while as a better growth market and just a bigger market. And I had lots of family there, visited there a lot. So I kind of knew the areas. And um, so that was my goal is to grow a portfolio more in Utah. Um, and that's what I've done more so. And is, is that where your um, like larger deals, your syndications have been located as well in, in Utah? Yes, all of them except for two deals in San Antonio, Texas, which we sold one of them. I was a co-general partner on both of those with another lead sponsor. And then um, one deal in Fort Worth, Texas that we bought last year, I'm the lead sponsor on. But other than that, all of the deals are in Utah. And and they're more like mid-sized deals, um, like 20 to 50 unit type deals. would you talk a little bit about Utah? I mean, it's just not, I haven't heard a lot of people uh, talking about investing. You know, there's the, Fort Worth is certainly one of the more popular ones, but I do think there's definitely something to be said for some of the maybe, I don't I don't want to say low demand. It's not low demand, but just not the ones that are like Phoenix or Austin, you know, places that have just exploded over the last few years where it's, it's extremely, extremely competitive and and I don't know about Utah what you know kind of what you're seeing there what what the opportunity is maybe can kind of go into that a little bit yeah it's interesting to hear that type of perspective because when I talk to more locals like everyone thinks of it more as like a strong secondary market it's highly competitive and which it has been but yeah when you compare it to like a phoenix um there's just not the the amount of um 
investment groups that are looking and they're, they're thinking about more of as a tertiary market. Um, even though it's 3 million people along the Wasatch front, which is um, running from like Ogden down south to Provo. Um, it's about an hour and a half drive along the Wasatch front mountains. You got mountains on one side and you've got a lake on the other side. So it's uh, land constrained. So there's there's really a lot of barriers to entry for expansion. So, so there's there's a lot of more like infill projects and um, just more and more high density housing that's needing to be built um, to support the population growth and the job growth. There's a lot of tech in. Sorry, I'm trying to get this to pull up. <laughs> um, my uh, screen minimized trying to trying to pull it up speaking of tech doing just what you needed yeah. to at, the, at that i moment. am not very tech savvy but um yeah let's um so yeah um So the, I've got you on a smaller screen now. I can't get it to pull up all the way, but this works fine. That's um, so yeah, just Utah, it's a high growth market. Um, and then with the kind of a barriers to entry with the, the geography, I, I thought, you know, long-term that's going to be a lot of, uh, um, a lot of potential, um, if you can get in now in good locations and, um, you don't have that urban sprawl as much, like a lot of cities that are more flat. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing was I just had family in Utah and I kind of knew the areas a little bit better. Um, so it made sense to me to pick that as a market. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I was curious about. I, I think, you know, people, there's the there's the markets that like i guess you know sort of tend to be the the more uh spoken about but i'm always intrigued by people investing in and not that you know not that it's a <laughs> middle of nowhere but just you know not not necessarily um top of mind markets because i i think there's a lot of opportunity there so that's maybe what what i'm interested in i've i've heard about utah i've heard about people talk about boise idaho um all all intriguing to me because I live in California. And so they're, you know, closer than going all the way to, you know, the Southeast, which is also another popular area. So um, what is your, what is your focus uh, as the, in what's your role that you play in the syndication? You're playing multiple roles, kind of what do you um, really, what seat do you sit in or seats? Yeah, kind of all the seats now. I starting off when I was, uh, so I invested as a limited partner and then I uh, co-sponsored some deals and helped raise some equity, um, which isn't my favorite part of the business. I'm kind of more analytical and I like the deal sourcing and underwriting deals and working with brokers, just looking at opportunities. But I feel like uh, it's an easier way to get into the business by first investing passively, then rate, help raise money um, right. for another lead sponsors deal because it's hard to get deal flow from brokers and stuff when you don't have a track record and 
but yeah, now I'm more on the deal sourcing side and I'm starting to bring on a couple of partners to help with the capital raise as long as they're more involved with the deal as well to keep SEC compliant. And yeah. Um, so yeah, all the above now. Awesome. But it, I mean, that's a good outline as to, you know, a, a very, I don't think it's uncommon, but a, a very good way to kind of move your way into, you know, more and more portions of that GP, right? You, you know, you invest as an LP, see what it's like. And then, you know, as you mentioned, raising capital for someone else's deal, there's often, there's a lot of people, you know, they're, they're always looking for capital raisers. It's a good place to get started, kind of get, get some experience and then kind of move to whatever. But I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd much rather be um, finding deals or asset managing than, than raising capital. I, there's people that are excellent at it and, and uh, more power to them. I want to be yeah. their partners, but yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite part of it either. It's, it's just not, um, yeah. I think it takes a certain personality. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And not like, I like talking to people, but I, I don't love just the repetition of the same conversations. I Like on the deal sourcing side, I feel like it's kind of new. There's always, everything's always different. Every deal is different. You know, the debt's going to be different. The everything about it is going to be different. And it's just, it's exciting to me and just putting the pieces all together. But yeah, on the the raising money side, I feel like it's a little bit more repetitive, just explaining kind of the basics to investors. And yeah. Um, but yeah, for the right personality, that's a lot of people prefer that a lot more. So yeah, I mean, some people are are really great at it, and I, and I think uh, that's a good thing because that way we all, you know everybody has their strengths. You find partners with complementary strengths, and then you can kind of build even better scale better from there if you're not trying to do every piece yourself it's it's for sure you know that that sort of team sport um so what is what is on the horizon for you what are you, you have working on anything currently um i know we're you know i mean this this episode will probably come out in a month or so but but i don't think we'll be out of this <laughs> this <laughs> current uh state of the market in a month so what are your yeah. thoughts on what's going on in in you know world economics, the, the debt market, that's sort of, you know, there's yeah. a lot happening. Do you have any uh, crystal ball or ideas of what you think yeah. is going to happen? <laughs> I have no idea where this thing is going. Um, yeah. Like if I look back at the start of the year, if, if, you know, if you would have asked me where I thought interest rates would be and stuff, it'd be way off. Yeah. Um, things have been changing fast and it's hard to pencil, um, you know, 99% of deals. I'm I'm in the middle of closing on one deal right now. It's a conversion. Um, I can't tell a lot of the details about it because we're in the middle of closing it. But um, but yeah, we've already got the investors, so we're not accepting money or anything. Um, but yeah, it's just a, buying at a little bit better basis. Our stabilized yield on cost is a little better. So with the higher interest rates, it all pencils out a little better. But like standard multifamily deals, whether it's value add or you know, core plus or core, it's just, um, you know, the bid price from, uh, where, and where sellers are at is there's a gap still. And it's just, there's not a lot of transactions happening. Um, and I think it's going to be probably because a lot of the bridge loans were coming out mid 2020, a lot of deals that were getting done, more aggressively with the bridge loans. It was mid 2020. So most of those bridge loans are a three-year term and two one-year extensions. 
So I think by mid 2023, those loans are going to be coming up for maturity where they have to refinance or sell and they can't just automatically get their extension. Like there's in the, in the loan docs, there's always, you got to look at the debt coverage ratio. You got to look, there's all these things where the lender can just decide not to extend. Um, so yeah, I think by the middle of next year, there's going to be um, potentially a little earlier. There'll be a lot more kind of forced sellers, um, but there's still a good amount of capital um, ready to be deployed on the sidelines. So I don't think it's going to be anything like um, the global financial crisis, but um, yeah, I mean, like in Utah, deals that got done at the peak pricing in Q1 of this year, like er, like January, February, March, um, they were closing. Um, pricing is off about 15 to 20% um, right now for a deal to get done right now. Like yeah. a lot of deals just aren't selling, but if it were to get done, it's already come off about that much. Um, so yeah, it could potentially come down another 10 to 20%. Um, but I don't know. I have no idea where this thing is going. And, you know, the inflation data, it's slowly coming down, but the Fed can't really, um, even if they stop these, you know, everyone, there's, they're projecting what, a 75 basis point hike in the next, next meeting and then another 50 basis point hike. And then if they even pause at that point and wait, to kind of see what inflation is doing, even at those infl- at, at those uh, interest rates, pricing still has to come down a little bit more, I would think, before um, money is incentivized enough to come into the market. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think we're in, it's definitely a, a very weird, um, you know, sort of transition period where it's like, like you said, from if sellers had sold, you know, last December, January, they would have gotten substantially more than if they sell now. And so it is really going to come down to, you know, who has to sell. Um, I think other people, you know, if you don't have to sell, they're going to kind of ride it out and wait. Um, But yeah, and we we don't know, I I agree 100%. Like, even, (laughs) even in the spring, early summer, if you had told me that this is where we'd be now with with more impending uh interest rate hikes i no way no chance they would yeah. do that right like yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't make sense but um but here we are in in you know a, as someone who who is you know acquiring deals in in, in the analytic side of things you're you've a lot of people are you know talk about interest rates are up, how can you buy deals? And, and, and the reality, and you said it is, is, well, the prices just have to come down. They have to, it's because it's, it's not one number in your model that, that dictates everything, right? It's like, we <laughs> pick and choose, you can reduce expenses. You know, there are a lot of different ways to kind of adjust to account for it. But yeah, it's, it's I would imagine that, you know, the biggest thing is in order to We've got this big of an interest rate hike. That's that's why prices have to come down fifteen or twenty percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, good. I, I mean, congratulations on the upcoming deal. I hope that that goes goes well and gets across the closing table with no uh, no hiccups. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We've had a lot of hiccups along the way, but it, yeah. it's kind of starting to come together finally. So yeah, it'll be good to get it out of the way. Good, awesome. Um, well. 
Let me switch gears here, Levi, and ask you the, the questions that I like to ask every guest. Um, and the first one is based on the name of the show being Know Your Why, but, but what is your why? What kind of drives you forward? What's what's your, um, you know, kind of what, what picks you up towards success? Yeah, I guess it's kind of changed over the years. Um, uh, the biggest one really is just to, you know, have enough passive income that your bills are covered and that you're comfortable to where, um, you know, if you, even if you want to work a job, you don't have to, at, you know, at nine to five, you can have your, you know, freedom of time to do what you want, when you want, you know, hang out with family, whatever. Um, but now it's, I'm kind of to the next level where I'm wanting to be fulfilled. I'm wanting to be able to help other people because, you know, once your bills are paid and you don't have to do anything, it gets boring sitting around doing nothing. So, yeah. so now I'm in the phase of like, okay, what can I do um, with my talents and, um, you know, how can I help other people? How can I be more fulfilled? You know, what, what's next? So, so yeah, I'm just kind of going into that next why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, you know, I ask every guest this question and that that's a common theme where it's, it sort of just depends on where you are in your journey, right? Because you have definitely the why and and my why, my why has, I don't know that's changed, but there has been additions to it as I go through it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you go from a space of, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, focused on family, you know, that sort of financial freedoms aspect of it. But then when you get there, okay, now it seems for most people, then you go into that sort of impact space of what can I, what can I do with this? What, what difference can I make in the world? That kind of thing. Um, you know, just, just outside of your own, because as you said, it's, I think, like virtually no entrepreneurs just want to sit around, right? Nobody, nobody just gets to that point of financial freedom or maybe not nobody, but very few people get to the point of financial freedom and are like, okay, I'm good. I'm just going to stop here. Right. Everybody is in it because they're passionate about it and and they see, see the potential. So then you have to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? Um, you know, going forward. So I think that's, that's a, a really great, um, aspect of this business. Um, second question for you is tell us something about yourself that, uh, maybe isn't common knowledge, uh, special skill, a hobby, any, anything you're comfortable sharing just to let people know you a little better. Oh, catch me off guard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I like a lot of sports. I'm really active. Um, I like riding dirt bikes, riding jet skis, um, boating, hunting, um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something interesting about myself, but nothing comes to mind really. No, that's interesting. And you sort of already, I mean, I think uh the the farming background and having I, I at least find that interesting. So yeah. I think that's that's kind of a cool um aspect. I I, I think in, in your oddly enough, it seems like most of the people that I have met and interviewed, like they come from another, almost like an entirely different career path and then sort of discover real estate. And, and so, but, but I think you're unique or in the minority, maybe in the sense that it's kind of sounds like that's about what you've always done. It, there wasn't, I know you had, you were taking care of cattle, but there was always some level of, you know, whether it's, it's land or, or apartment buildings, there was some, some component of real estate to what you were doing. Yeah, for the most part, for the 
core of kind of what I was doing, but I had some sales jobs over the years. Um, I also got my real estate license and played in the residential space for a while. Um, yeah, I worked for a flipping company and, um, it was a sales job where we, uh, bring on members and we fund their deals. So they submit deals to us. And if it all pencils out, we split profits with them. Um, nice. so yeah, I mean, I had a couple different jobs, um, I guess, oh, but, but yeah, my, my core, um, kind of business and what I was doing was all always kind of real estate related. Sure. Sure. I mean, it makes sense. And it's good. I think having that exposure essentially, you know, at a, at a very young age, I think it really sets you up for, because a, a big part of, of investing is time, right? Your time in the market. So it's setting you up at a, at a young age to kind of you use that time to your advantage. You're, I, I always, when I talk to young people, I'm always <laughs> maybe even more passionate about, yes, you need to start investing now because you can do you know, make more, uh, make more progress with, with smaller, smaller investments. So I think it's, it's great to use yeah. time to your advantage. Sure. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out, what's the best way? Um, I guess my website, wealthcreationmgt.com or my email, Levi at wealthcreationmgt.com okay. or social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just look me up, Levi Allen. Okay. We'll put we'll put all that in the in the show notes. Um, final question for you, Levi. What piece of advice would you give to someone who is starting out in real estate, um, just to kind of get them going and, and motivate them, you know, towards towards the success that you've had? Yeah, I guess first you got to figure out what it is that you want because that's going to be a different um, path to get there um, based on the relationships you'll need the knowledge you'll need, the amount of capital you'll need. Um, so yeah, I guess it's if you're wanting to get into development or flipping houses or assuming, I guess, assuming you're wanting to syndicate kind of mid-size um, to large-size apartment deals like me, just finding mentors and getting around the people that are doing it, getting your mindset right that you can do it because there. that's the thing that's so rewarding about it is it's there's so many challenges and it's every deal has stuff that comes up and it's hard and you're going to want to quit. And, um, you know, you're going to be looking at losing a lot of earnest money. And so just do it with a partner starting out your first couple of deals, be willing to take less profit, you know, split profit up and split tasks up um, with a partner. And um, yeah, just make sure you have a mentor that's done it before that's either on your team or someone that you can, you know, turn to, 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 if nothing else, to just, uh, have them, uh, coach you through, you can do it. And just to keep marching until you get the deal closed. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I actually follow up question to that for you, because you mentioned this. So, um, you said, you know, find a partner to, to split those responsibilities. How do you do that? How do you suggest people find partners that, and I think this is, an incredibly important aspect in this business because it's it's not necessarily likely that the you know the first person you meet that also likes to do multifamily syndication is going to be the best person to to um, partner with. So how how do you suggest people do that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, uh, ideally, you want to get to know them for a while. You don't want to jump in a deal with them um, right out of the gate, um, but 
Yeah, just uh, understanding their skill sets and yours and if they're complementary. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know, I've only had a few different partners over time. And what I do like about our industry is it's pretty common to do a deal together, you know, one syndication and see how that goes before you think about like forming a company together with a partner. Right. Um, so that is uh, one of the benefits that I feel like we have um, in our space is it's it's pretty common to partner up and see how a deal goes before you commit to forming a company and right, right. splitting up ownership and, and deciding you need to break up down the road. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered that very well, but. No, I mean, that's a really good point. The, the, the reality is, is that, you know, that is often how it happens where, you know, it, you may not form a company, even if you do multiple deals together, you might not form a company together. You're just your company's, you know, sort of partner together on these deals. And, and it's true. You want, you want to kind of see how it goes before you, you know, sign up to do, because these are long-term deals, right? It's, it's, uh, it's probably yeah. easier to get a divorce than it is to break up one of these <laughs> LLCs right. or, uh, that are involved in a deal. So right. it's, it's, and, you know, and I guess one other thing that I didn't really mention is on a deal by deal basis, you can figure out how much each partner is contributing um, as, as far as, you know, how much time they spent on this, this, and this, how much at risk capital they're putting up front, how much money, of, how much of the equity they're going to be bringing in. Are they signing on the debt? So you can kind of slice up somewhat what's fair rather than just do 50-50 and then one partner doesn't do anything and then you get a bad taste in your mouth. And yeah, so it's just a little bit easier to slice it up on a deal-by-deal basis. Yeah, and and important to have that pretty clearly defined too. So yes, you can can slice it up, but, you know, try to be pretty objective about it, but, but also be try to make those expectations clear up front as to who's doing what. And, and, uh, as you mentioned before, complementary skill sets. So no, thanks. That was, I guess, a bit of a tangent and outside of my normal, uh, four questions. But, um, when you said that, I think that's, it's a really good point and topic for people to kind of hear about. So, uh, appreciate you <laughs> accommodating that, uh, that tangent. Um, but from there, I think, we will sign off. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show today, taking the time out, coming and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I think uh, people get a lot of value here in, in hearing about, you know, kind of what you've done and your success and, and you know, kind of how you walked through it. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I had fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and sign out. Um, as always, everyone, if you enjoy this episode, please uh, like, rate, and review, and uh, we look forward to the next one. Thank you. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.